Understanding Individual Donors. Hi, I'm Bill Stajakevich. This is the first day from the fundraising school, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Dr. Pamela Vidking. Pamela is on the faculty and is a key researcher on our team at the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, where from her home base in the Netherlands, she also leads our international outreach as we study and teach and apply philanthropy around the world. And Pamela, so great to have you back with us on this first day from the Fundraising School podcast. Thanks, Bill. It's my pleasure to be back. And on this particular occasion, we're talking about Chapter 26 of Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the fifth edition that came out in 2022, Understanding Individual Donors. And Pamela, you've done a lot of research on this and help fundraisers apply this knowledge into their fundraising practice. I'm thinking at the beginning, I'm meeting somebody, it can seem just so random and so widespread that I'm going to try to get to know them and especially get to know you know, why they might care about my nonprofit and make a charitable donation. But the good news is there are several frameworks and, and kind of approaches that fundraisers can use as they're developing these relationships with donors. And that's what you talk about in understanding individual donors. Yes, in that chapter, I uh, bring to the audience some ideas about how you can understand motivations that people have for their giving. And um, we have several frameworks, like you said, and those include motivations that are both intrinsic to people. So they're giving because they really care about the cause and they want to make the world a little bit better. Uh, and they're, they're giving out of their altruistic motivations, but there are also extrinsic motivations that people can have. And that's, for example, that they give because then people will see them as a very social person uh, or because of tax motivations. So those are extrinsic motivations. And when you meet someone, it's often through conversation that you get to figure out what kind of motivations will this donor have for giving to my organization. And Pamela, this sounds different than somebody who's interested in a specific program or they're going to fund a building or a project. It sounds like it's, it's much more personal about the donor. Uh, and I know one of those things you talk about is people kind of tap into different types of resources when they're making their charitable giving decisions. Can you help us understand that, please? Yes, well, I, I think in uh, several of the other podcasts with authors from Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, I think you've also spoken about the ability likely, right? The ability to give. So there are different resources that people have that make give them the ability to give. And one of them is, of course, financial resources, but it's also the ties that people have with other people. So through your network, you are associated with different people that bring different causes to your attention. So it, it matters a lot what kind of resources you have in your life, whether you will be interested in certain causes and whether they come to your attention. So in, in that way, researchers Resources are not just financial resources, which is great because even people with fewer financial resources can be very motivated to give. And, and especially with the teaching you've done for us, including on this podcast on generosity, that is a resource, right? That I'm, I'm tapping into my, the generosity that I have in my lifestyle and my spirit and my wanting to make a difference. Uh, and that's an important factor for fundraisers to remember, right? Yes, I think it's really important that... Um, if people are able, they want to give, they want to share, they want to care, they want to help others. And that, that's what we call generosity. And that's part of that abundance mindset and sense of possibility that fundraisers have as they're meeting people and getting to know them better. Pamela, how important is lived experience for a donor? And as I'm a fundraiser, to be able to 
maybe do a little bit of homework, do a little bit of research on that individual before I meet with them. And then as I meet with them, where does lived experience fit into this whole issue of understanding an individual donor? I think lived experience is a very important driver for people to give to specific causes. So if you can find a connection with a potential donor that relates to what your organization is trying to achieve. So for a very uh, sad example, if if one of their kids may have benefited from the hospital you work from, Mm -hmm. that is a key example of lived experience that really motivates people to give back and give to to your organization. But there, there are variety of lived experience that motivate people to give. It can just be um, going on a holiday to a country where you see there is a need. um, And if you can figure out a way that you can connect with the donor and and their lived experience, that makes for a very strong tie and and a long-term relationship. Now, your chapter provides several excellent models, specific models that people take a look at. And, And they're very easy to understand, very accessible and, and to apply. And we encourage people to go into the chapter to, to gain great detail on this. But you know, we need to start with one of the seminal works in our field, and that's the eight mechanisms of charitable giving that you and Renee Beckers have put together. That's highlighted in this chapter. And, and that's one of the tools that people can use as a framework as they're um, you know, starting to uh, learn about donors and why they might give to their particular charity. Can you just give us the, the, the highlight, that kind of overall description about the eight mechanisms, please? Yeah, so what we did is a literature study of all the studies that were out there studying why people make donations. And we uh, got to eight core mechanisms that motivates people to give. And if you can recognize a few of those motivations in your donors, you can use that to um, create a stronger relationship with them. So if you find out, for example, that they're giving because their values align strongly with your organization, then I think it's really important to build on that and keep coming back to those values and and emphasize that your organization shares those values with you. But if you find out that they may be giving because they really like to be seen as a donor to your organization and they like to attend gala events, then they're giving out of social reputation motivation. So then it's important to continue that relationship, taking that into account because they may lose interest if there's no longer social reputation to win with that. And another model uh, that is just so fun is the taste of charity. Now, around the world, you know, different cities have, you know, the taste of Amsterdam, the taste of Paris. I grew up in Chicago, the taste of Chicago. This is the taste of charity. What is this model and how do we use this to understand our individual donors? So our colleague, Sarah Conrad, together with Famita Handy from the University of Pennsylvania, have developed this taste for charity model, uh, where the acronyms stand for the different motivations that people have for giving. And that model really nicely supplements the model that uh, Renee Beckers and I created. And in the taste for charity model, for example, they talk about trust, how important trust is for giving, that the donor needs to trust your organization before they will be willing to make substantial donations. Um, They talk about tax benefits that may drive donors, but also about constraints that donors may have. So if they don't have the ability or the resources, they may not be able to give. And so again, these are different types of models, different types of handles uh, that, that uh, fundraisers can utilize. You know, Pamela, kind of, kind of looking at this in two ways, there are some fundraisers who just might have a high level of emotional intelligence, be outstanding at observing and, and active listening. And then there are others who endeavor in that way and have some strengths, how can these models help a fundraiser? What advice do you have for them as they put these things into practice? And again, not to label people, not to objectify people, 
but maybe in a systematic way, help them understand the individuals that they're working with. How can they utilize these tools to take a deeper and develop a deeper understanding with the individual donors with whom they're working? Yeah, I think this those models can be used both um, at, at the individual donor level where you work with major donors, trying to assess what motivates them and then build on that in, in developing your relationship further. But it can also be a very useful tool if you're doing a mass solicitation. Um, if you're sending out a direct mail appeal, which is appealing towards specific motivations for people. So if you're trying to highlight the, the values of your organization, you will see that a specific type of donor will respond more to that than when you, for example, highlight efficacy uh, elements in, in so what your donation is uh, reaching so many people because we're doing this and that. So there, there are different types of motivations for people. And if you can see which people respond to what type of appeals, including with specific motivations, you can also use that in your further communication with those donors because not all donors are alike and some are motivated by different motivations. And again, these, uh, you know, kind of tools, these frameworks can really help fundraisers uh, understand as they're being very intentional about developing relationships with their donors. Also at the fundraising school, we teach professional stance and part of professional stance of the fundraiser is teaching fundraising within their own organization to other staff colleagues, maybe leading up to their CEO, uh, perhaps you know engaging the board. And one hesitancy that others might have who aren't the full-time fundraiser is they might think fundraising is, I'm just asking random people. I'm, you know, am I going up to strangers and just making asks? How can fundraisers use these tools to encourage the rest of their colleagues, including their volunteers and their board members, uh, to be part of the fundraising process for the nonprofit, to know that this isn't a random process, that this is a very intentional process that includes understanding individual donors. Well, what I, what I find is that people are so interested in donor motivations. Like I, I walk into a birthday and I start talking about that and everyone is interested in it. So I think you, as a fundraiser, if you read this chapter and understand more about individual donor motivations, you can also use it to create a, an interesting conversation with all those people and, and get them excited about this aspect of fundraising and, and take them on the journey with you. Yeah, it really is an exciting journey to, when we have the privilege of working with donors and understanding their individual motivations. And again, you could have, let's just keep the number simple, 10 people who all care about our nonprofit, but each of the 10 might have a very distinct and different motivation for donating to our nonprofit, right? Yes. And understanding that is the key to fundraising success, I would say. Absolutely. Dr. Pamela Veepking uh, of the Indiana University Bodley Family School of philanthropy, uh, who leads our international efforts as well, in addition to all of her research and her teaching, author of Chapter 26, Understanding Individual Donors in Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the fifth edition that came out in 2022. Now, the book is available on the Fundraising School's website at philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. By the way, the book is available free of charge if you register for and take our principles and techniques of fundraising course. You receive an online digital copy of the book at the conclusion of the course. Now, speaking of principles and techniques, that's one of our nearly two dozen public courses that are available in person, online asynchronous, meaning recorded, online virtual, meaning live, uh, all these different ways you can take our courses. We can also bring those courses just to your nonprofit, your association, 
your region, your county, anywhere in the United States, and Pamela, yes, anywhere around the world. Uh, and we can also custom design courses for people uh, in the U.S. and internationally as well. We have quarterly webinars and, of course, these free podcasts all available on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. Now, as a member of our academic faculty, you see the experience as you listen to this conversation today that you're able to have when you pursue an online master's degree from the School of Philanthropy or perhaps one of our two doctoral degree programs. Uh, Dr. Viking, a key member of our faculty, leads our faculty, in fact. Uh, and again, if you're interested in our academic programs, the website is the same, philanthropy.iupui.edu. So grateful to my colleague, Dr. Pamela Viking, our producers today, Mike Anthony and Jennifer Boffman. I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the Fundraising School. Mm -hmm.